Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. Hello, this is the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Shorty. Uh, but the, voice, the voice is doing all right. The voice is almost recovered from the party comment season, so that's good news. Coming up on today's episode, politics and pop. After Liz Truss got into trouble for playing M people for her party conference speech, we take a look at the interaction between politics and music, including Dave Rountree from Blur and Al McKenzie from D-Ream, no less. Uh, they're coming up on the podcast. In a moment, we'll have the columnist panel, but as we always do on a Friday, first of all, let's take a look at what we learned this week. We learned that the lady is not for turning. Are you absolutely committed to abolishing the 45 pence tax rate for the wealthiest people in the country? Yes. Until she was for turning. Frankly, the 45p wasn't a priority policy. We learned that it was all a bit too much for Kwasi Kwarteng. What a day. I know the plan put forward only 10 year, uh, days ago has caused a little turbulence. But he was absolutely clear. Doing something was simply not an option. I learned how to accidentally blow up the government. I'll try once more. Do you think the benefits should rise in line with inflation? I have always supported, uh, whether it's pensions, whether it's uh, our welfare system, uh, keeping pace uh, with inflation. Yeah, that blew up. We learned that Suella Braverman, like Martin Luther King, has a dream. I would love to be having a, a front page of The Telegraph yeah. with a, fly, a plane taking off to Rwanda. That's my dream. Oh, heartwarming stuff. We learned that Michael Gove will never make it to number 10. How many squares are there in a Sudoku puzzle? Nine. No. 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 We learned that James Cleverly wants you to shut up, shut up and take your... Uh, Bitter-tasting medicine. We learned that everyone has limits when talking to Keir Starmer. The kamikaze politics of two weeks ago. Now, Sakia. I'm going to do a little deal with you here. You've just mentioned the kamikaze <laughs> budget three times in the last 45 seconds. If we hear the phrase again, I'm going to ring a little bell. We learned that Tory party chairman Jake Berry definitely needs a lie down. When the going gets tough, the trust gets going. And we learned that this was the week that Liz Truss really hoped to turn things around. Wrong. 
Wrong. Wrong. And that is what we learned this week. And it's been a lot of fun, as we said. Right, uh, up next, it's time for The Columnists. The Columnists with Formel, James Forsyth and Melanie Reid on Times Radio. Yes, it's that time where we get to speak to some of our favourite columnists. And on a Friday, it is James Forsyth. Morning, James. Morning, Matt. And we've also got Melanie Reid. Morning, Melanie. Morning, Matt. <coughs> James, have you recovered from that? We, we spoke to you earlier in the week at Tory Conference. Have you recovered? Yeah, it, it was the most remarkable conference. Um, I mean, we, we, we've both been to a fair few of them, Matt. Like, I can't remember one like it. No, it was absolutely wild. It was it was wild. My my voice has recovered slightly more quickly than the Tory party's polling. Um, uh, let's talk about your column because it's sort of building on where we were at, at, at conference, uh, James. And the well, the the the, the what is go- coming down the track? If it, to pay for all the things that Liz just wants to do, the spending squeeze, which is the inevitable consequence of that, is going to be even harder to sell, isn't it? Yeah, and I think it is worth remembering that the tax cuts were meant to be the easy bit of this. You know, that 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 um, mini budget was a giveaway, and I think that it, I think we've seen in this row over benefits, whether they're going to rise in line with inflation or earnings, just how hard this is going to be. Because you know, think about this: we've got a whole bunch of public sector pay disputes coming down the the track in the autumn. I mean, are, is the government really going to be able to hold the line on? real-time's pay cuts for nurses, teachers, members of the armed forces. And I also think, you know, you look around at where where you might find cuts, it is just very, very hard to see where substantial savings can be found at the moment. And I think one of the difficulties is that, you know, George Osborne did lots of... Oh, he's got on together. We were wondering if the line would hold up. Um, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get James back. Um, Melanie, th- this this idea, I mean, Boris Johnson has always been, which is very clear, no return to austerity. Lumping in spending cuts alongside everything else uh, that the government's planning to do. I mean, uh, James cleverly this week called it a bitter tasting medicine. I mean, it's going to be very difficult for the public to swallow that, isn't it? It's 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 you can't you really can't see where where the money is going to come from, can you? I mean, it's it's it the and it goes to the heart of what the Tory Party has been trying to escape from, which is 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 being seen as as the sort of right wing nasties. Uh, but the minute you start having to make these cuts to bring back austerity, you you immediately bring the whole image of the Conservative Party back to the bad old days and uh, very, very hard because they not only have to convince the OBR, they have to convince the voters and the markets and um, they have to do it quite quickly. And how do they do that without without upsetting, uh, you know, everybody? <laughs> very hard. Um, and James, the, 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 in order to do this, I mean, it was quite remarkable, actually, the way that David Cameron and George Osborne pre-2010 and then in government managed to mount a, a political argument in favour of austerity that actually did take the public with them by luck. Well, they then won the election in 2015, so you sort of can't argue with that. It's not entirely clear based on the evidence thus far that Kwasi Kwarteng and Liz, Liz Truss have the political storytelling skills to sell this. I think they've also lost with the, even though it's been abandoned now, they've also lost with the attempt to abolish the 45p tax rate 
the we're all in this together argument, which which was so kind of key to Cameron Osborne. I think mean, one of the other things as well, which Cameron Osborne had, was they had five years. You know, it's worth remembering that, you know, George Osborne got booed at the Paralympics in 2012, but they had enough time to be able to say, look, we've taken tough decisions and we're now, uh, we're now able to, you know, show you the, 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 the you know, we've climbed the mountain and you can now see the valley beneath. The problem for Liz Russell was watching is that they've only got two years, so they'll be cutting straight into a general election, which is much more difficult. You, you know what I think they've lost? I, or, or maybe they never had it. Uh, they, they've lost all charm. And I think what, what James just said there about uh, Johnson and, and Cameron managed somehow, even though they were, they were asking for tough stuff, they, they managed to charm us and take us along with us, the, the voters, to some extent. But going on the evidence so far, there is absolute absence of charm. And that's, that, that's a kind of a political, it's very hard to define that, isn't it? It's a, you either have it or you don't. And actually more than that, um, they seem to be trying to turn their lack of charm or interest or, or, or position to, into a positive. You know, James cleverly <laughs> talking about bitter, bitter medicine that we've all got to take and it'll be all right in the end. Liz Truss in her speech saying, you know, not everyone's going to like it, but it'll be good for them in the end. That's a really, yeah. really hard sell, isn't it? it? It's extraordinary. It's as if they think somehow that, you know, we need we need a bit of authority, that we're actually secretly, we've, we've been dying for this, that we're going to enjoy a bit of tough love. Um, you know, it's not like that, I don't think, anymore. James, in terms of the, the, the sort of... Will there be a moment when the penny drops for Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwarteng that the thing they've spent so long, you know, late of an evening over a glass of wine or in an IEA seminar or whatever, thinking was a terribly good idea, that actually, not only is it not a good idea, but people really don't like it. I think the crucial thing is how do the markets react to... Uh, the fiscal statement that you know is 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 meant to be on the twenty third of November, but lots of you know, but will probably be brought forward because you know I, I think to have a, a kind of adverse market reaction to to one fiscal event could be considered unfortunate, but to have it to two <laughs> will begin to you know, uh, and I think this is where things will become very difficult for them. If, if the markets are not convinced that the plan that they outline uh, uh, is credible. That will make things very difficult. I think you can. I think you can. Oh, he's lost it. We've lost him again. We've lost him again. It's all right because um, uh, Liz just was talking about a mobile phone black spot. So hopefully she'll sort out wherever. <laughs> James is probably in one of those mysterious places. Maybe he's in a North London townhouse uh, that, um, that gets you into so much, uh, gets you into so just, much trouble these days. You should just jump in a taxi like he's supposed to yes, do. Yes, exactly. Get in the studio. That's what he ought to be doing. <laughs> um, Melody, let's move on. And we'll, um, we'll, uh, we'll talk about something else now because I thought this was really interesting. Uh, we, you know, by and large, there's this sort of general sense that Britain is still taking a leading role in supporting Ukraine. But this new poll today from Ipsos Moy finds that uh, 40, uh, less than half of young people support Britain's role uh, in the Ukraine conflict. Only 45% of yeah. uh, those, uh, uh, those aged 16 to 34. And I don't know whether that was a young thing and you sort of oppose uh, conflicts in general. But again, it's a sort of sign of that sort of generational divide in politics. 
it's it's an in, it's a very interesting one this and it's also very interesting because the reaction underneath from times readers all the all the boomers have got very angry about this and it's become <laughs> a sort of a, a it's become a kind of a, a, a an us and them thing uh, you know i i think the young the young can be punished for being young um there there is an element that um they have not from the from the sort of boomer point of view these this generation 16 to 34 year olds they've not they're not they've not been through any wars they don't remember their parents their parents didn't go through wars they're not 20th century people which is a good thing in a way you know they like to have fun um and they but they haven't absorbed the lessons of history in the same way the military isn't fashionable and you know they 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 are the digital natives and the the internet has been one of the huge things in in reducing old tribalism barriers and and I think the young are more neutral about about life. They're yeah. they're less they're less you know they they get less excited about the um, old things. And in some ways, what's happening in Ukraine is an old type of war. Um, so I, I you know I have I have a certain sympathy with them. I, yeah. I do. I, I I really do. What about you, James? Were you surprised by this? Uh I wasn't. I, I think Melanie is right. I'm not that surprised. And I think also the older you are, the more you remember the Soviet Union, the fact that that a large part of Eastern Europe was occupied, uh, and so I think you probably are more aware of the Russian uh, threat in 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 that respect. I think there is also another aspect that we can forget here, which is this generation. You know, they entered the labour market in. 2008 in the aftermath of the financial crash. They then uh, have had, you know, some of the years when um, they, they should be, uh, you know, uh, finding someone to settle down with and have children was disrupted by COVID. They now look like they're going to be hit by uh, by another um, financial crisis. They have not had an easy time. And I think, you know, Britain is in danger of turning into a gerontocracy. And, and while I think our defence obligations are, are hugely important, I think we should understand why young people feel disillusioned and feel that they you know, they want houses to live in, they want opportunities for themselves to to you know to start families and, and not be hit by huge childcare costs. You know, we've got to think about the young a bit more than we do in our politics. I suppose maybe that goes back to the ability to sort of tell a story and explain why you're doing something and take people with you, rather than just assuming that the public will think, oh, well, that's the right. Uh, that is the right thing to do. Uh, let's finally let's talk about Twitchers. <laughs> uh, so the RSPB in Scotland said that animal welfare should always come first after a video appeared to show bird watchers flushing out a small bird from a bush. Now, um, Manny, I'm not sure if you're you are a twit. I thought this. I thought the whole point was you're supposed to stay very still and quiet and let the birds come to you. Yeah, it's a rather horrible picture. I can understand why it's been whipped off the internet as quickly as possible. This, it, it, you know, it's that sense of uh, the people. The twitches are slightly. They are. They are at the sort of extreme end of bird watching, of birding. They're. They are. They're obsessive and like avian train spotters. And when they gather in one place. They they all want to get to see it's just a very little very small little brown bird apparently a lanceolated warbler, it's you know it's been blown off course. It's, they 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 breed up between Russia and Japan and they're rarely seen in Western Western Europe. So it's kind of like oh yeah I need to see it. It's like a diesel it's this rare diesel engine coming into a station. <laughs> and it, it, 
there's, there's, it's, it's all about them rather than the bird. Yeah, and I think yeah, yeah. the welfare of the bird is, you know, it's, it's the picture's horrible of about 50 yeah, people yeah. clustering around a bush. Do you know, it's, it's a bit like, imagine, imagine if you got lost somewhere in a part of the country you'd never been and you've been driving around the rain and you were hungry and thirsty. You found a budget hotel and suddenly there's a crowd of football supporters surrounding you and you can't. <laughs> you know, it's that kind of. Yeah, yeah, it's not nice. It's miserable. Leave the bird alone. Not nice. Leave the bird yeah. alone. Miserable. Uh, James, briefly, my guess is you're not a twitcher, but I might be wrong. I, I'm not. I, I, I don't have the patience for um, <laughs> the bird watching, I must admit. <laughs> no, not when you can just hang about and just wait for a government crisis to come along. James Forsyth and Melanie Reid then. Of course, you can read James every Friday in The Times. Melanie every Saturday in The Saturday Magazine. You can read my column in The Times on a Saturday as well. This week is why Liz Truss has had a Ratner moment. Uh, so yeah, pick up a copy of the paper or go online. You know what to do. Subscribe. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box. Up next, the politics of pop. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. You're listening to the Red Box Podcast now. It's time for this. The Big Thing on Times Radio. Top 10 political music moments. In it 10, in 1996, Chancellor Ken Clark opened a fiscal statement with the Spice Girls lyrics, I'll tell you what I want, what I really, really want. I want to see healthy, sustainable growth. At nine, when in 2015, Nick Clegg parodied a music video set to Carly Rae Jepsen's I Really, Really Like You. But it was so bad it got canned before it saw the light of day. Release the tapes, Nick! Release the tapes! At eight, in 2016, the Leave.eu campaign announced Bebop Live, a pro-Brexit concert. The acts on the bill included the 90s boy band Five, Sister Sledge and some of Buck's Fizz. They They all pulled out once they found out it was a political event. At seven, when Health Secretary Therese Coffey's alarm went off mid-interview, revealing her love of rapper Dr Dre. You're getting a bit of Dr Dre. It's just an eight o'clock alarm. At six, when Ed Miliband tried his hand at death metal on BBC Radio and came out with this weird noise. In it five, uh, when Theresa May became the Maybot dancer to Amber at the Tory party conference. At four, when David Cameron revealed his favourite band was The Smiths, 
and then Johnny Marr banned him from listening to them. The ban he put on me listening to Smiths, he's still, as far as he's concerned, it's still in place, but luckily, yeah. sort of as a liberating uh, medium, so they can't stop. As David Cameron talked to me a year or two ago. At three, Gordon Brown told a men's magazine who was a huge Arctic Monkeys fan, but failed to name a single track from their debut album. It later turned out he was more of a Coldplay fan. At number two, old Jeremy Corbyn, the refrain to the White Stripes Seven Nations Army, that he all got sick of hearing. And a new entry at number one this week. Actually, my favourite thing about Jeremy Corbyn was the uh, Labour Live thing when they tried to put on their own festival and it was messy. Uh, and a new entry at number one this week, Liz Truss coming on stage to a song which contained the lyrics, You've done me wrong, your time is up, you took a sip from the Devil's Cup, you broke my heart, there's no way back, move right out of here, baby, go on, pack your bags. Turns out maybe coming on stage to end people wasn't such a good idea after all. So that's Liz Truss. She's at number one for now. But how much longer will she be at number ten? Yeah, so Liz Truss coming on stage to Moving On Up did not go down very well. Uh, with the, what, some, one of the people who wrote the song, Mike Pickering. This is what he told Channel 4 News. When I saw it, I was A, shocked because we hadn't been asked, and B, appalled because one of the worst prime ministers in the history of, of, of British politics has used my song to walk on a stage at a terrible convention uh, full of people that I have no respect for. That was Mike Pickering speaking to Channel 4 News. So, is it ever a good idea when politics and music mix? Well, what, one, uh, well there's probably one song which sums up uh, uh, politics more, politics and music mixing more than anything. That's Things Can Only Get Better. Uh, used, of course, by Tony Blair in 1997. A political anthem. It still gets played at Labour Party conference now with by a particular wing of uh, the Labour Party. Well, let's now speak to Al McKenzie from D-Ream uh, to find out if it was a good idea or if he's Al actually... Al, how are you doing? Good, thank you. Uh, so tell, take me right back. Take me back pre-even, you know, any involvement in New Labour and Tony Blair. How did things that can only get better come about? It's just a song. Really. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's... It, it's what can I say? It's just, it's just a song we wrote. Also, there's no political leanings. There's nothing political about it whatsoever. It's just one of those uplifting pop songs that we did, you know, in uh, 1990, I think it was written. So there's not really more to say about it than that. And so then how did it become, did, did Tony Blair or the, or the Labour Party come forward, come to you and say, can we use it? Or did you just turn on the telly one day and there it was on one of their adverts? We did ask, yeah. It was uh, uh, at the time, I mean, at the end of our sort of time, as it were, uh, Peter's manager at the time was uh, Jazz Summers, who's quite a big manager at the time. And he was trying to re-resurrect Peter's career. So and Labour wanted to use it and they asked and he suggested it'd be a good idea to help, you know, basically. Kush Peter doing a new album stuff, which didn't actually happen in the end. But... <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, they were going to use it anyway. So he just said, look, you may as well get on board with this. It helped that Peter, you know, was slightly left-leaning at the time. So it, it, it worked for everyone at the time, basically. And so you presumably you thought it'd be used in an advert and that would be the end of it, you know, and uh, then politics and music would move on. 
Are you now completely sick of hearing it? Like, I, I, don't really, I don't really relate it to Labour anymore. You know, you know, that's a song we had a long time before Labour came, and you know, it'll still be there a long time after Labour are in power, or if they were getting power, let's be honest. So, you know, it's, I, I, I don't relate it to, to Labour at all myself. You must be the only person in Britain. <laughs> to be did honest, you... it actually did a lot better before Labour had got hold of it, to be honest. <laughs> And what about, um, uh, did you ever sort of meet Tony Blair and politicians like that? Did it go as far as that? Or was it just a fact that they just sort of took the song and ran with it? Peter did. Peter got quite involved in it all. He went to Ted Dagger Street and stuff like that. I, I get involved in that. I try to keep uh, politics as much as possible. I'm going to have my opinions, but, you know, not everyone wants to get my opinions. So this, this is Peter, who's the, who's the lead singer of the band. He was more into it than you. Well, he, he, he's the front man. So yeah. That, no one, no one wants uh, the, the sort of back, the guy in the back that just sits on the keyboards and just does, you know, just keeps himself to himself, really. No one's really interested in me. It was always all about Peter at the time. And obviously, in Brian Cox as well. I mean, what, what, what an eclectic mix. Brian Cox off does, goes off and does space. Um, yeah. But now you're back. You've got a new single. Oh, yeah, we, we've, been, <laughs> yeah, we've been back for a while. We've never really been away. Just no one pays any attention anymore. <laughs> But then, no, no I, was, I was. It just happened to be I was at a party conference, party conference season, listening to my Spotify, you know, playlist of new releases, and up pops this. I put you and I thought, I, I recognise that voice. So this is uh, your new single, Pedestal. Sorry, say that again. I we lost you then for a sec. I said we're still we're still plodding away. We're still still trying to. I don't know what we're trying to do. We just you know we 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 never stop making music really. We had a little break, but we like doing it. So that's that's why we do it. So. And if you play live now, do you play things? Can only get better. Choice. We'd be lynched if we didn't. <laughs> and how do you feel about that? Because I suppose this is the, I mean this is probably the problem that bands get all the time, not because of the politics, but just one standout hit. Do you do you get sick of it, or do, does it still just get a great reaction? It always gets a great reaction, you know. There's always a few fools, but <laughs> some places. But, but you know, look, it's like like anyone who makes music, they'll tell you that it's it's made a half decent life. So I'm never going to complain about it ever, you know. You know, I'd like to make another one, to be honest. Al, it's been really good to speak to you, uh, and uh, best of luck with it all. That's uh, Al McKenzie, Fob D Ream, and their new single, Pedestal is out now. Will it do as well as things going to get better? We'll find out. We'll find out. Uh, right, but let's... Um, so that's that's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a band that ended up being thrust into politics. What about somebody who did the reverse journey? Dave Rowntree was the drummer for Blur and then became a Labour councillor in Norfolk. And Dave joins me now. Morning, Dave. Morning. I think it would be a mistake. Well, first of all, you're not really getting the uh, interviews you wanted, are you? I think so you quite expected uh, that response. But anyway, it would be a mistake to think that I, uh, I uh, left Blur and became a councillor as two independent separate careers. All that being a councillor is a career. <laughs> Vocation. No, not at all. But, but it's I'm what... still in Blur as far as I know. No, yes. No, you've heard uh, otherwise. Yes, my chronology was... Yes. You're announcing life on time. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. Not at all. It was, it was a chronological thing. Uh, not, yes, there were there, there were there were there were two things happened at the same time. But then I suppose <laughs> what makes you go from being in one of the well, one of the biggest, most successful bands we've seen in this country, to then deciding to be a lay, uh, simultaneously be a local councillor in Norfolk. Before I address that, I think uh, 
I think you missed out probably the greatest music political story ever. Mike Reed, when he <laughs> released his racist Calypso. Yes. Help fund UKIP. UKIP Calypso. Yep. And then UKIP, uh, UKIP decided they didn't want the money after all, tried to give it to a charity and the charity said they didn't want it. So what happened to it? I don't know. It's probably kind of sloshing around the financial system somewhere. Well, that was a, I think that was a low point for both music and <laughs> politics. Uh, <laughs> I think it's fair to say. <laughs> Mike's uh, Mike's Mike's contribution to uh, to the debate. So yeah, so 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 what, how did you go? For, I mean, clearly, you know, you know, you've been a political person, but how did you, or why did you? I mean, it, it seems like a you know quite a leap from 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 world famous band to local councillor. But how did you combine those two jobs? Well, um, basically, the the why of it is uh, the Labour Party's a funny beast and. Uh, when you turn up, they immediately put you in charge of something. So by the end of my first meeting, I was chair of my local branch, <laughs> <laughs> which was a position I discovered had absolutely no power whatsoever and only incredibly onerous responsibilities. So, uh, but I absolutely loved it. And I got, got involved in my local community and started doing local campaigns. This was in Westminster and the Shirley Porter gerrymandering thing was still a very hot topic. Um, so we decided, you know, that the, let the local Labour Party had pretty much fallen apart, really. We didn't have a single councillor anywhere in the constituency or any elected official anywhere in the entire uh, constituency. So we decided to try and change that. And of course, uh, I, I no longer live in Westminster, but the party's just taken control of Westminster Council. So it just goes to show that getting involved locally, knocking on doors, printing leaflets, all that boring stuff that people think you're mad for doing. <laughs> could actually change people's lives you know actually and that actually that sort of comeback you know the comeback for a local party can take quite a long time it's not, not often like a one hit uh a one hit wonder you know it could take yeah. several elections and you you stood for election as well in westminster didn't you for the general election yes well i'm an activist you see that's what we activists do we knock on doors we stand for election we do you know and I, yeah, I stood at the time that it was one of the safest Tory seats in the country. So that's what they call being a paper candidate where you're not expected to run a campaign. You're just written on the form. Well, I decided to actually run a campaign and use it as bit as part of my uh, my campaign to 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 change Westminster around and, you know, start getting people interested in the Labour Party again. So, did, uh, did you... Oh, sorry, when you were um, on the Blur side, it, it, I was just sort of thinking about things going to get better and then sort of Tony Blair and OA, you know, Noel Gallagher in number 10 and Cool Britannia and all of that. Blur was sort of slightly one step removed from that, that sort of throwing a lot in with New Labour. Is that, is that a fair impression? Yeah, I think they thought we were a bit of a, a bit too left-wing for them and a bit of a loose <laughs> cannon, really. And uh, so, yeah, we weren't really, we weren't, we weren't included in that, uh, in that list of people invited to number 10. And what about, um, what about politics now? Are you still, uh, but, I mean, I suppose the same question now, if, if Tony, you know, Keir Starmer looks like he's doing quite well in the polls at the moment, as he moves the Labour Party to the centre. Is this your sort of politics? Yeah, winning elections is definitely my kind of policy. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Being in opposition. I spent five years as a Labour councillor in opposition and it's hell. It's hell because, you you know, this is a winner-takes-all political system. If you win 49% of the votes, you don't get 49% of the power, you get 0% of the power. 
So, you know, you, you have to sit back and watch, in, in my case, in Norfolk, it was the Tories trashing the county and there was nothing you could do about it. And it's hell. It's hell for you and it's hell for the people you represent. So, yes, winning elections is definitely my kind of politics. I'm not factional. I don't care. I'm very, very practical. You know, I knock on people's doors. I look them in the eye and I ask them what problems they've got and if there's anything I can do to help. That's what that's my kind of politics. And so would you think about throwing your lot in uh, standing at a, at a winnable seat at the next election? Yeah, I'd, I'd love to. I'd, I'm definitely going to get involved in elections again, whether it's local or national. I don't know. But yeah, I'm definitely, you know, but that's the only way you can ever change anything is by putting your neck on the line. You know, people point at you and laugh. Why are you doing that, you idiot? Well, if, if nobody does it, nothing ever changes. Nothing ever, nothing ever happens. And what was you? What did you say? Is the most political song that Blur did? Well, we're not an overtly political no. band, so you know. Um, but it's we're all political people in one way or another, and yes. it's, it's kind of baffling, really, to me, why why this is even a thing. You know why? Because I get asked to do these interviews about the interface between politics and music about once a month. If I was a plumber, are we doing something about plumbers in music? You know, <laughs> fundamentally, music is a job. You know, we are workers. We have a trade union. Yeah, yeah. Why else shouldn't we be in have political opinions and go knocking on doors? I guess it. You know, like anything, it can be done really badly, can't it? You know, Liz Truss did it really badly. She didn't do any research. She just thought. You know, it's a really uplifting song about, you know, sort of us all getting together and, and, and succeeding by... Uh, she didn't even seem to even check the lyrics, never mind check no. the politics of the people who'd, uh, who'd written it. A song with Pack Your Bags in it seemed quite bold. We should just mention, uh, Dave, you've got a new single out. Uh, I have, yes. I have an album out in, uh, in uh, January and I'm playing some gigs uh, at the end of this month. Check my website out for details. Lovely stuff. So it's good. Yeah, the album's called Radio Songs and the new single's That's called right. Devil's Island. I was going to call it Times Radio songs, but uh, I don't know. Times Radio would be better with more songs in it, Dave. That is definitely that's definitely good. Dave, it's really good to speak to you. Really appreciate your time today. Thank you for for letting us be your your monthly conversation on this topic. Uh, <laughs> Dave Rowdy there from Blur. Uh, thanks very much for joining us. Uh, let's speak now to Matt Charlton, music journalist of the Enemy and Rolling Stone. Hi, Matt. Good morning, Matt. And we also got Lisa Verico, uh, music journalist of the Sunday Times. Morning, Lisa. Morning. Uh, so my rundown before of uh, of the best and worst of uh, mu uh, music, music and politics mixing. I mean, there are probably loads more we could throw in there. Is there ever been a good example? Do you think, Lisa, of politics and music mixing well? Well, it usually starts off quite well. If you look at the red wedge movement in the mid eighties, uh, that for, for a lot of people that was the first time they'd seen the, um, politics and pop be so closely aligned. So that was Billy Bragg, Paul Weller. Kirsty McCall, and they did lots of tours. Lots of people did tours uh, to raise money for the Labour Party. It, like most of these things, it starts off quite well, and then it kind of sours and people feel used. And if you look at, I mean, Obama did that fantastically. He had pretty much the whole of, uh, across the board of musicians in the States who wanted to be seen with him and play for him. So I think there was a little bit, you know, he was a cool, youngish president. It looked good to be next to him. So I guess that worked for both sides. It's interesting that, um, Matt, that sort of difference between Britain and America, the, 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 the politics sort of is, runs through, you know, both both musicians want to align themselves with President like Obama, but also just sort of political, like country music, because we can't please go, you know, Bruce Springsteen sort of thing. We don't have that same tradition in the UK. 
Not really. And it always feels quite awkward with politicians trying to seem, you know, down with the kids in the UK. It's just like a sort of slightly drunk uncle at a wedding, uh, you know, dancing to Stormzy. But um, in America, I mean, it, it's a uniting force in another way because um, Trump used all these uh, songs in his rallies. So and then all the musicians came together, and said, please don't use my song. So this is Neil Young, R.E.M., Adele. The Rolling Stones, Luciano Pavarotti's estate, <laughs> um, George Harrison's estate. So it's a uniting force in another way too. It's, inter- it's interesting that, isn't it? That the the um uh, is it is it just a particular? You know, was Obama actually just you know like Tony Blair? The the sort of every so often a uh, someone comes along who's so so popular in the polls and and sort of managed to ride that sort of you know does it have to be someone on the left maybe because. Is it just a, a, a stereotype, Lisa, that, that creatives come from the left? You know, all all comedians are on the left, all artists are on the left. Is it just the case with musicians? It's usually the case, isn't it? I know in the state, I mean, Kid Rock forcing his music on uh, on uh, Trump, so it wasn't actually everybody. But yeah, of course, they tend to be to be on the left. And I mean, Obama was, you know, he looked cool. But, you don't see that support from musicians for Joe Biden because people are worried that he's going to fall asleep when they're singing. You know, you just need that. <laughs> to, you know, they, de- they definitely are. Uh, to be like to be photographed with, you know, your granddad. Um, but yeah, yeah, they, they are on the left. And I think the thing with, with uh, the musicians in the States, they are maybe kind of less sort of speak out for certain candidates, but they, they speak up on issues. So gun control, Black Lives Matter, uh, abortion rights they seem they were very outspoken about that and you know that's interesting because it's a huge place Canada America you've got to appeal to lots of you know uh, states where maybe you know you don't agree with the the politics or the laws but uh, they still still want to do it I think younger artists as well they feel like they you know they need to connect with their fans on social media and they need to stand for something but I suppose the thing is that Matt the, the, the issue that Lisa's touched on there is that ultimately the music industry is a multi-billion-dollar uh, business, and if you want to maximise the amount of money that you make, not alienating half of your potential audiences is, you know, is the way to go. So actually, not getting involved at all in issues at least means you can appeal to everyone, rather than a, the sort of maybe the red wedge thing. The same is probably possibly true of sort of alternative comics. Um, rather than think, well, I'm I'm going to use my music to further a message. Actually, if you just want to build a massive audience, why would you stick your neck above the power pet on particular issues which might upset people who might otherwise buy your records? Exactly. And the thing to remember about the United States in particular is that it's not really one country. It's it's 50 different countries. And um, you've got the Midwest and the Dust Bowl, which is a very different world to the, the coastal states which are more notoriously more left-wing i mean as left-wing as america ever gets um so if coldplay suddenly go on tour and talk about out about uh, guns um then they are as you said alienating a vast swathe of their audience but this is chris you know chris martin does wear the fair trade logo on his hand when he's playing the piano so the camera can can't help but pick that up so he does you these people do still use their platform you mentioned bruce springsteen as well and it does always seem to happen i mean woody guthrie who we need to mention one of the first protest singers who wrote on his guitar this machine kills fascists and then obviously went on to influence bob dylan who who took the mantle and ran with it so it 
it does tend to galvanize those those musicians in the states this um tying themselves to a political ideal certainly and just just finally lisa uh, one thing that did occur to me that actually we think well, this doesn't happen in the uk but grime even grime which has ended up going quite mainstream stormzy dave they have been overtly political, you know, attacking whether it's Theresa May or Donald Trump or Boris Johnson and been quite supportive of Jeremy Corbyn in a way that we haven't seen from other genres. Yeah, the, the, I mean, the ground for Corbyn was extraordinary. I mean, not least because, you know, you've got these young, mostly black artists, um, you know, next to this kind of old duffer, you know, stuck in the 70s. That seems very, very strange. And I think some of them maybe regret that so much, but... But what they did get was a lot of young people out to vote who hadn't voted before. And in that way, it was a success. And now you've got very eloquent rappers like Dave in particular, but also Stormzy, who are at the Brits and speaking about Theresa May and Boris Johnson. So, you know, it's it's re that's good. for It's better, I think, for Grime to be against something, to be angry about something. And that really works as mm. opposed to be loving. What do you think, Matt? Yeah, absolutely. And, and there's uh, Stormzy wearing the bulletproof Union Jack vest at the Brits in Glastonbury as well, which was a hell of a political statement. And yeah, it does fall to ground now. Rock and roll has sort of, uh, it's very navel gazing at the moment. It's about it's about love and friendships. But grime is the protest movement at the moment because it is the disenfranchised that are making uh, the music. Um, so that is going to be the voice of the protest songs in the UK uh, for the foreseeable future. Really fascinating. Really appreciate your time. That was great. It was Matt Charlton there, music journalist the enemy in Rolling Stone. Lisa Verico, music journalist at the Sunday Times. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on Times Radio. We bring you the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcast from? <laughs> 